The year is 2263. Mankind is facing its oldest threat, evil, the purest form of evil. It has returned after 5,000 years to destroy the earth, and the only thing standing in its way is a reincarnated supreme being whose destiny is to stop evil. This powerful being is a woman, as human as those she is destined to save. And if she, a priest, and the cab driver who has become her protector don't find a way to complete the ritual and stop evil, all will be lost. Join us as we dissect the 1997 sci-fi cult classic, The Fifth Element. I'm Connor Zagari. I'm Austin Johnson. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday, listeners. Welcome to episode 113 of the Filmgasm podcast. It's been a while since we've had Austin in the second chair. I did the fly with Josh, then I did the gift with Julie. Now it's time for a good old-fashioned Filmgasm. Good to have you here. <laughs> yeah, hey, it's been since Dr. No? Yeah, I think so. How about that? Yeah, it feels like it's been a minute. Too long. <laughs> been, uh, been, you know, doing, doing our thing over on Oscar Sunday, and we got more stuff coming. Uh, I think later in the show we'll be given a lot of cool news and I can't wait, man. Oh yeah. Big, big, big old announcement at the end. Very excited. Something we've been working on for a long time now. Before we get started, I finally do have some updates on the rewind. Three of them. Yeah. It's been like nothing happening. Finally, you know, a little something. I've got one that updates our seventh episode on Suspiria, which I can't wait to redo someday. That's probably our worst episode and that's my fault. Another one that updates episode 20 on the Godfather trilogy. And one more on episode 98, The Toxic Avenger. Okay. All right. We got a wide array of films here. Yes, indeed. First up, and this is an unfortunate actress and screenwriter, Daria Nicolodi has died at 70 years old. Nicolodi was the co-writer of Suspiria, was Dario Argento's long-term partner. They worked together on a number of films, including Deep Red, Inferno, Tenebrae, Phenomena, Opera, and of course, Suspiria. She will be missed. Yeah, her influence on Suspiria, I think, really helped it become a very vibrant, wild witch movie. Like, a movie I cannot wait to revisit with our, you know, current lens. Oh my gosh, yes. Gonna be, gonna be fantastic. That's, that's the best thing about this experience, is re- revisiting it and having, a, having an excuse to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. 19 minutes on the original and the remake. I will never forgive myself. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, I, I, I remember those episodes because I was listening to all of them, of course, and knew I was going to be jumping on and then eventually came on permanently. Uh, I, I think you did a great job being a one-man show for, for those, those first, what was it, first 20 or so? I don't, I don't remember. I think I did about 16 on my own. Yeah. Yeah. The last one I did on my own was The Hitcher. Yeah, that sounds right. Because I, I remember vividly, we, you know, we uh, were influenced by, you know, uh, us and Midsommar, you know, uh, some horror films of 2019. And we were like, oh, we should just bang, bang, talk about Hereditary, talk about Get Out and, you know, talk about both. And then we just we just felt like uh, we should do this partnership permanently. And I'm glad glad we we're here on episode 113. Holy shit. I know, right? Damn, a lot of work, a lot of work into those 113 episodes. Most of them, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna keep throwing shade at your your solo pods. <laughs> They're just so it's so weak compared to what we would do later. It's like 
I just look at our shining comparisons and our saw comparisons, and we did such a fucking better job as a team. Well, so, saw you go from one person to three. Yes. So completely different. Shout out to Josh, who who will be appearing more often, and like you said, was on the fly in 1958. That was a blast to listen to. And it, it was, it was bizarre. And it was like, ah, you know, I'm not going to be here for two weeks on these episodes, but I listen to them all the time. Cause I, I enjoy our product. <laughs> yeah. Nothing wrong with enjoying your own stuff. <laughs> Next up legendary entertainment is developing a toxic Avenger reboot with trauma founders, Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hertz producing. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, Game of Thrones alum, Peter Dinklage has just been cast in this reboot. <laughs> Whoa. Hey, shout out again to Josh. Uh, that's one of his favorite movies of all time. So we also did that episode, all three of us. Yeah, uh, I have I have very mixed feelings about it. <laughs> As do and, I. And you, you you enjoyed it a little more than I did, but but uh, yeah, a little too wacky for me, I think. You know what that movie is? If and I, I feel comfortable saying this just to you, um, it feels like a porno without the sex. Yeah, it gives you that dirty, dirty feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. I'm sorry, Josh. Um, director Macon Blair is going to be doing this one, the reboot. Okay. And um, he's the director of 2017's I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Did you see that? Yeah, on, on Netflix, yeah. Yeah, I did see that. How was it? Not bad. It's not bad. And um, it, he also starred... It doesn't scream, it doesn't scream, oh, give me another film by this person, but it's, but it's pretty good. (laughs) Well, I I didn't realize like how, uh, he was actually a pretty, uh, pretty good actor. He was the main dude in uh, Blue Ruin. Yeah. Which was such a cool movie. That's, that's also, I I learned that like hours ago in IMDb. I was like, oh shit, you know, just kind of piecing things together. IMDb is probably my most used app on my phone because I just get lost on there. Yeah, I mean, frankly, we couldn't do this podcast without IMDb. We need that. <laughs> uh, it just, it's amazing the way they have everything organized. I don't think people realize how awesome the app is. Uh, definitely download that shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're, at some point in the near future, we're getting a Toxic Avenger with Peter Dinklage and Megan Blair. And you know what? I'll see it. Yeah. Uh, also, another great way to bring up IMDb is that when you look at Peter Dinklage's, you know, his run, you're going to see that. That's fantastic. I wonder who he's playing. Like, is he going to play the nerd or is he going to play like a bully or a new character? Who knows? Yeah. Maybe a new character. Maybe he's the voice of the, of Toxie. Oh, that would be, that would be clever. That's going to be so weird. Cause I know one day we're going to talk about that movie. And oh, of course. <laughs> Next up, the trailer has dropped for Francis Ford Coppola's re-edit of the Godfather three. Currently titled The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone. According to sources, Coppola has changed the beginning and end of the film, toyed with some music cues, and shuffled some scenes around to turn the disappointing third Godfather movie into something new. Oscar winner and Godfather star Diane Keaton said, quote, It was one of the best moments of my life to watch it. To me, it was a dream come true. I saw the movie in a completely different light. When I saw it way back, it was like, oh, I don't know. Didn't seem to do that well, and the reviews weren't great. But Francis restructured the beginning and the end, and man, I'm telling you, it worked. <laughs> hmm. Diane Keaton's own mouth. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I of course, am very excited to, to watch it anyway. But then you hear that, and I'm pretty amped. I can't wait to talk about that uh, 
on Filmgasm in some manner. The re-edited Godfather 3 will be available on demand and Blu-ray on December 8th, and maybe we'll take a look. I'm, yep. I'm intrigued. Like, yeah, me too. Me too. I don't see how it could be worse. <laughs> so. well, ex- exactly. You know, you can only go up from there, right? Uh, it's just not not good. And I'm willing to give a guy, a, a director, a creator like Francis Ford Coppola a chance. Come on, you know? Yeah, but again, he is the guy who did do The Godfather 3 in the first place. For sure, for sure. But he also gave us the first two. And I, I'm okay. I, I normally would be like, oh, man, like not everybody gets the opportunity to just redo everything in their own film. And it's because of his name. It's because of who he is. But that goddamn right, because he did those first two films. True. But I look at his track record, and I, I think for 70s Coppola and 90s Coppola are two very different filmmakers. Way different. Yeah, obviously the 70s is, he has an argument as being the best in the 70s. And then, yeah, yikes. I mean, as long as they, and I I don't see how they could do this without like cutting Sofia Coppola's performance entirely because she really brings that movie down to a special bad place. Yeah, she is. She's not very good. Not a very good actress in that film. Uh, good, Good director though. Yeah. Yes, indeed. I just watched On the Rocks. Pretty good. Solid stuff. Rashida Jones is um, a wonderful actress. I, I think she's underrated. Yeah, big time. <laughs> Godfather three recut. recut. I'm, I'm very interested to see like what like what's what makes it better. What was the problem? I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Like, was it just reordered? Like, was it ordered wrong? Or I don't know. I guess we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. And now we've talked about it this much. We're definitely going to be revisiting it and talking about it on this show somehow. <laughs> we'll figure something out. <laughs> so had you seen the fifth element before? Yes. The fifth element is one of the, you know, more memorable journeys I've had with the film because it was on TNT nonstop. Uh, you know, it still, still is on, you know, we'll be on TNT or TBS or whatever. And I remember seeing it on, and Chris Tucker, you know, just kind of takes your breath away. What what is this guy doing? You know, at a young age, you know, I'd see it on TV and then, but never had seen the film all the way together till probably middle school, you know, seventh or eighth grade when I finally sat down and watched the entire film. And I actually, this is something that's, that's really interesting is the, um, you know, Friday and fifth element connection you know chris tucker i actually watched those two movies for the first time ever on the same day ah. and uh, you also have debo as the president <laughs> so yeah fun little connection between friday and the fifth element and i i fondly remember that it was seventh or eighth grade when i first sat down and watched both of those movies <laughs> and uh I, i'll never forget it and i still really enjoy the fifth element um as i've gotten older and have a deep deep appreciation for atmosphere and set design, production design, costume, all this, all these things, the intangibles of a film. Uh, it kind of takes your breath away, man, this movie. Uh, just when you first go to Brooklyn with Bruce Willis, man, you know, just like his, his setup, you know, the cigarettes, everything is, is so interesting. And I, I'm still very much blown away the same way I was when I first saw it. Yeah, it's it's cool. You notice little things about it every time you watch it. I mean, I've been you know watching this movie since I was a very, like since I was very young, like 
seven, eight years old. This was the first DVD my family ever bought. And uh, incredible. Yeah, we still have that copy. And uh, yeah, it's just a wild ride. It's such an original story. And um, you don't see that a lot anymore. Like, you know, grand scale original stories that are good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Spending spending a bunch of money and do dealing with space. Yeah, you're right, man. Doing the, that epic, epic scale. Yeah. It's rare. If it's not Star Wars, Star Trek, or a comic book, people don't care anymore. And the filmmakers who do try to do something original, it's so hackneyed most of the time. You end up with like a Jupiter ascending or some shit like that. But Luc Besson knew what he was doing. Uh, the Fifth Element, you can feel the love and care he put into this. Like you can, you can tell he really, really wanted to make this good. And uh, so the cast he assembled, the, like the cool world he created, almost like an optimistic Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's neat. It's, you can feel a mixture of so many cultures that like we've, you know, to create just the human race. It's, it's a very creative movie. And uh, it is fun. It is fun to watch. It's fun to introduce to people. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah, big time, man. And the cast, you know, a big reason why we wanted to do this film was because of Gary Oldman, right? Yeah. And how, how wild and, you know, audacious his performance, performance is in this film. Um, he has something coming out on Friday. Yes. Something big directed by David Fincher, you know, Mank is coming out on Netflix and we cannot wait uh, in a year where we can't even go to the theater, you know, in how we know it to be, you know, yeah. we can't, it's not, it's not very normal. And some movies are being pulled and this and that or VOD. And so to get a David Fincher film right handed to us, is gonna be really cool. And of course, Gary Oldman is a star of that. And, that's kind of we want to choose a, a wacky filmgasm kind of movie. Yeah, and that, that, that's 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 the fifth element, man. It's a filmgasm kind of movie. Yeah, I mean, you know, we do horror primarily. I mean, to celebrate Gary Oldman, we could have done Dracula. We could have done so many things, but we we picked the fifth element because it's not the one that people immediately think of when they think Gary Oldman. It's it's a very weird performance, and it's a very Extremely. strange it's a strange character. It's a performance that Oldman himself does not does not really like that much. <laughs> but I love Gary Oldman in this movie. This movie, I think more than anything else he's ever done in his career, really shows his dedication to transforming. His voice is so different than anything else he's ever done. He looks so weird, freaking like plastic cap and the comb over. It's just, it makes no sense. But there's some menace in this guy that you just believe. And... Oldman can do that with anything. With the weakest script, that guy can turn a character into a memorable figure. And I love that about him. Oh my gosh, yeah. He's pretty pretty beloved here. He's been brought up a few times here and there, and you and I just feel the exact same way, that he kind of kind of knocks out of the park no matter what he's working with. Yeah. Uh, whether yeah, whether it be this wacky one or or his, you know, Oscar winning performance in Darkest Hour. He just He's lights out. <laughs> I love him so much. And we're, we're going to have some fun talking about him throughout the entire show. Yeah. Throughout the week, really. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, Mank, you know, is Mank's going to be a big part of the Oscar Sunday show. You know, we're going to talk a bit about that and 
Citizen Kane and Pride of the Yankees and stay in Manx's world for a little bit. So Gary Oldman's a part of that once that movie comes out. Yeah, it's going to be cool. So, you know, massive spoiler alert for Sunday's Oscar Sunday. Oh, oh yeah. Watch Mank. <laughs> yes, watch Mank before you get into that. So the fifth element, it was director <coughs> Luke Besson's longtime passion project. It was a world he would dream about as a kid just to escape boredom. He put pen to paper on a screenplay when he was 16, and the film wouldn't be made until he was 38. That's dedication to a project. Like, this was his, you know, school time uh like you know scribbles that he turned into a multi-million dollar movie <laughs> god unbelievable amazing um for those of you who don't know luke basson is a french filmmaker known primarily for 1994's leon the professional that's his big one yeah which is just uh, another wonderful gary oldman performance uh natalie portman first taking the scene so yeah that, that's that's a special film oh hell yeah uh, some of Besson's other directorial efforts include La Femme Nikita, The Messenger, The Story of Joan of Arc, Arthur and the Invisibles, Lucy, and Anna. He tends to center his films around strong female characters, which is odd considering he was accused of rape by a Belgian actress in 2019, though charges were never filed. Uh, I don't know if, you know, I don't know much more details beyond that. It's no, he was accused, but there was no case that came out of it. So it might have been a false accusation. Or it might have been hush money. I don't know. Yeah, we, we don't have clarification on that one. I do know that he's basically making the same movie for six years. <laughs> like Strong yes. female assassin, misogynistic, usually Asian bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, like Lucy, I did not like. Nah, not for me. And Anna, I didn't see because I didn't like Lucy. <laughs> so, yeah. But, you know, Leon and the Fifth Element are awesome. Yeah, those those are the two that that stand out. I I've been scrolling through his all of his stuff, and there's really nothing else that stands out. He's written a ton of the films that he's directed as well. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't even know what my third favorite would be. <laughs> he wrote have... the Transporter. That's a fun movie. <laughs> it's all right. It's not good, but it's fun. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, that's um, that's where we're reaching. Yeah, so he, but he's got those two from the '90s. Um, and what's interesting is, like you know, 1994. There, obviously, that's the year Pulp Fiction came out, and I see a lot of Butch Bruce Willis's character in Fifth Element and connection of '94 to '97. Oh yeah, straight up. Now let's talk about him. Action superstar Bruce Willis stars as valiant soldier turned taxi driver Corbin Dallas. Willis was reluctant to take such a risky movie after the box office bombs Hudson Hawk and Billy Bathgate encouraged him to play it safe. And uh, if you don't know at least some of Bruce Willis's work, you really need to stop listening to a movie podcast and do your homework. Die Hard, Pulp Fiction, 12 Monkeys, Death Becomes Her, Armageddon, The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, Sin City, Lucky Number Slevin, Looper, and a lot of really shitty direct-to-video movies from the last 10 years. <laughs> That's Bruce Willis. <laughs> yeah, man. He's he's the man, you know? Uh, I fondly, you know, remember all those films you named at first, you know, Die Hard and Pulp Fiction and those films. Like, I, I'll never forget the first time I saw all of those. And you lay eyes upon Bruce Willis, the fucking beast of the 90s, and he's just, he's insane. He, he's 
you know, one of the guys that I think of when I think of the nineties in film is, uh, I think Bruce Willis had an incredible run. It ends with, you know, six cents, awesome film, uh, that could come up on either one of our shows, you know, and yeah. he's awesome, dude. He, he really is not afraid to choose any kind of genre, go out there, fucking go for it. Be wacky, be weird. And like you said, do all the direct to video movies. Like <laughs> you gotta love Bruce. He, he's clearly addicted to working. Yeah, big time. And um, he has proven that he does have some acting chops when he gets a good project. It's just really rare these days for him to get a good project. I, I'm trying to I'm trying to think there's a you know, there's been a few from the past, like you said, the past 10 years, uh, like cop movies. Um, wasn't there one with Kevin Hart maybe or, or am I? I don't know. I don't even know what I'm thinking anymore. <laughs> there was the one you did with Tracy Morgan, Cop Out. Cop Out. Um, there was, was that. I think he was in Red Kingdom. Red. Yeah, yeah, he's great in that. Uh, Red. Red Dawn. Just Red. <laughs> Just Red. Yeah, I yeah. I get really confused with all those. In Reds from 1981. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> uh, what else? Bunch bunch of those. I feel like there's more cop movies. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, I haven't seen any of them. <laughs> Yeah, they're all the same movie. I mean, he did appear in the um, in Sylvester Stallone's Expendables series. There you go. There you go. Alongside, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jason Statham and Dolph Bunch Lundgren. Of action. Yeah. And, you know, it is cool to see in Expendables 2, you know, Arnold and Bruce kind of switch their catchphrases. That was kind of neat. Well, I don't I don't I, I don't remember watching those because I just saw them on TV one time. I didn't go see those in theaters. I was very excited for Expendables 2 because Jean-Claude Van Damme was the bad guy. That's, yeah, that's that wonderful. Like, yeah, that, that was sweet. And there's a scene where Bruce and Arnold are in a in a bank or an airport or some shit, and they're shooting. And Arnold says, you know, I'll be back. And then Bruce Willis says, you've been back enough. I'll be back and runs to the other side. And Arnold just mutters under his breath, yippee ki It was stupid, but it was oh, yeah. cool. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> Those movies are so fucking dumb, but I love them. <laughs> yeah, Bruce Willis. Yeah, he's the man. He'll always be the man. And uh, I just hope, you know, he gets some worthwhile shit. I don't think he cares anymore, but we do. <laughs> yeah, you got uh, 10 Minutes Gone, Airstrike, Reprisal, Death Wish, First Kill, Once Upon a Time in Venice. I mean, good lord! That's all in like a two-year span. What are any of those movies? I've heard of none of those. Movies. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I know there's more cop movies, and there you go. <laughs> it's either he's either a cop or a soldier, like every time. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and like ex-soldier gotta get back in the game, and yeah, that's definitely a trope that's used. I, I'll always butch butch is where my heart lies when it comes to Bruce Willis. That's Obviously, we're huge Pulp Fiction fans, huge Quentin Tarantino fans, and for me, that's that's my favorite role of his of all time. As much as I love Butch and as much as I love John McClane, I have a soft spot for Dr. Ernest Menville from Death Becomes Her. Hey, hey, I love it. That, is there a particular reason why you feel a connection to that one? Well, that was a big fan, a favorite of mine when I was a kid. I was obsessed with Robert Zemeckis from like the day I was born. And, I figure um, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah like Bruce Willis is so against type in that movie. Like, you know, he's usually playing the, you know, the tough badass, but in death becomes her, he is such a like emasculated, just sad man. 
who is like trying to regain any bit of like masculinity he's got left to leave his crazy bitch wife. And he just gets sucked into this weird ass immortality love triangle. And it's the weirdest role he's ever played, but I fucking love him in it. <laughs> it's fantastic. I love it. I got to rewatch that. It's a great one. I've almost had that scheduled on the podcast like three or four times, but kept like, you know, changing my mind. But I, I bet 2021 is the year where we are going to do Death Becomes Her because that's just such a great movie. Hell yeah. Well, uh, coming up in this upcoming March, Bruce Willis will be turning 66. Jeez. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's, you know, that's that's still young in action movie years. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's still got Still got more cop movies in the tank. Come on. Um, Oscar winner Gary Oldman took the role of the evil Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg as a favor to Luc Besson, who was a good friend. Besson had partly financed Oldman's 1997 passion project, Nil by Mouth. So Oldman took the role without reading a script. And that's just, never do that. (laughs) I don't care how friendly you are with somebody, how big of a fan you are, always read a script. Uh, yeah, I agreed. I agree. I, I wouldn't ever be able to do that. That's for sure. As it stands, Oldman, quote, can't bear his performance. He really just did this for the, you know, to help out a friend. He does not like his performance as Zorg. <laughs> That's so funny. funny. Yeah, I love that because he's just such a terrific actor and he's all hardened himself for this wacky performance from the late 90s. <laughs> Oldman won his Oscar for his performance in 2017's Darkest Hour, was nominated for his 2011 performance in Tinker Tailor's Soldier Spy. He's one of the most respected character actors in Hollywood and a true chameleon, easily in my top 10 favorite actors of all time. That's, that's, that's quite, that's high praise. Uh, I haven't thought about that. I thought I, I have made list of actors from this like century, but it's very hard for me to gather you know, all time and compare these guys. Oh, Oldman is certainly someone I think about. Um, so without, you know, you know, like what, what are some of your very, very favorites of his? Gary Oldman favorites. Um, as much as I don't really like the movie, I do think he does a really good job as Dracula. Yeah. Yes. I, think, I really like that. Um, of course, Sirius Black, Azkaban, unbelievable performance. Um even Air Force One, like as the Russian terrorist bad guy going up against Harrison Ford. I mean, that's just badass. <laughs> so, well, yeah, that's that's the thing. It, you can talk about any of them, and he he brings something to the table. Uh, I there's one that I know uh, you will adore whenever you decide to watch it. Is State of Grace? Yeah, he he is fucking off. You know, off his rocker in that one, and I I think you know it's. Uh, foreshadowing of what he's going to do throughout the nineties and true romance and Leon, the professional and fifth element. Just this guy can, this guy can fucking act, you know, he, he's not afraid to be, to be wacky. One of my all time favorites that I kind of found, like it was a movie I wasn't expecting to really like that much. And I adored it. It was uh, 1994's immortal beloved where Oldman plays Ludwig von Beethoven. And uh, but, yeah. What more do you want? I mean, that movie was panned. It kind of just fell off the radar, but his performance in that is unreal. It is such a great movie, such a great humanizing depiction of a man who was considered to be just a complete bastard. But you, you understand why. Like, he, you know, you have your heart broken that hard 
it's hard to love anything. But it was such a great performance and really underrated. And I can't move past this without talking about Drexel Spivey. Well, well, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, to get a guy like Oldman lined up with the, a writer like Tarantino, game over, you know. <laughs> oh, unreal. And then, you know, another favorite that just popped into my head because it's such a creepy role is Mason Verger in Hannibal. Which yeah, yeah, is you know very much a makeup performance, but his vocal, you know, his his delivery is eerie, as this escaped pedophile who is after Hannibal Lecter. Like he's the more evil in the movie. It's it's weird, but yeah, we'll get we'll, we'll talk more about Oldman as the show progresses. Yeah, I th- uh, and we'll certainly do a, a, an Oscar Sunday show around him one day. You know, Dark Stower and Tinker Taylor. Oh, just. Tinker Taylor is a fucking phenomenal movie and that'll be that'll be highlighted on Oscar Sunday one day uh, yeah very very much looking forward to that that episode uh, in the future yeah I still I can't believe I haven't watched that I mean being you know, such an Oldman fan it, not have seen one of his Oscar nominated performances and and you are like obsessed with British culture so what are you doing you know <laughs> I don't know. I do not know what has been stopping me. I own it too. <laughs> I love that. I, love I have, that. I have nothing holding me back from watching this movie. I just haven't done it yet. Yeah, that was that was nominated for three Oscars, but didn't win any. And we will we will certainly give you a reason to to watch it. Yes, indeed. Uh, moving on, Mila Jovovich was cast as Lilu, the Fifth Element. Jovovich is known mostly for her role as Alice in the Resident Evil franchise, which she starred in from 2002 to 2016. Some of her other roles include Dazed and Confused, Zoolander, He Got Game, Ultraviolet, and the recent Hellboy reboot. She's set to star in Monster Hunter, set for release on Christmas, but I'd bet all the points on my future cab license that it will not be coming out on Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that good call. <laughs> So how do you, what do you think of Mila's performance in this? Oh, I like it a lot. I, I don't, you know, know her career too, too well. I'm a huge, huge Days Confused fan. So Michelle and Pickford, they're like the ultimate, you know, druggies, potheads, uh, like couple in the film. And she's fantastic in it. And that was, you know, like the first thing I saw her in, but I, I wish I had more more to say because I'm not, you know, her her claim to fame is a franchise I'm not really, you know, a fan of or have seen or uh, have seen everything of. So I don't know. I don't know. Where, where do you stand with her? I've seen the first Resident Evil movie, and that was like 12 years ago. I barely yeah. remember it. Yeah, I'd never been a fan of the game, so I didn't really want to see them. Uh, they're in the book, so one day we will do the Resident Evil movies, but I'm not really in any hurry to see them. And then the Hellboy remake, I thought was, I, I heard was terrible. So I haven't seen that either. She's an actress who doesn't really get enough credit, I don't think. I think she's really good. I think she just chooses some weird scripts. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, uh, you know, this happens, right? Like in the 90s, it's just, there's so many things happening. And, when you're picking and choosing like left and right, uh, you're going to sometimes get mixed up. And she certainly has her, her audience, her, you know, her fans with the resident evil stuff. And uh, I'll, I'll, you know, 
I'll, you know, be excited when that does come up, but I'm the same way as you. I, I'm not in a hurry to get there on my own time, but I think it will provide uh, good episodes. I tend to only really care about video game movies if I play the game. I just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> Have you ever seen Ultraviolet? I have not. That is a weird, really terrible movie. I, I saw it at the movies when I was a kid. It was like a week weekend and my mom and dad wanted to go to the movies. So we went to see Ultraviolet. But we all walked away thinking like that was terrible. But uh, Nick Chinlin is the bad guy. And I think he's <laughs> one of the most underappreciated character actors. He plays such a slime ball so well. That's such a great call. You, 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 you have the uh, character actors down, you know, the guys that are the guys that get, you know, neglected all the time. And that's a good call. They're my favorites. The guys who can, you know, disappear. The guys you don't know their names because they're such great chameleons. They're the best. And yeah, Nick Chinlin plays one of the scariest characters of all time on the X-Files. He plays the serial killer slash possible demon Donald Faster in uh, season two and season seven. And uh, yeah, he's in one of the episodes that got like kind of taken off TV because it was too hardcore. And uh, that guy was nuts. That guy was fucking scary. He was a necrophiliac. And this was in like 93. Like this was, you know, the X-Files really pushed the boundaries. Love that show. <laughs> Hell yeah, me too. Uh, I know him from uh, Training Day. Yeah. That would, be the one, that would be the one that I can re- remember who he is. In. And um, Con Air, of course. Yep. It's hard to remember to forget that cast, you know. <laughs> he was like the only part of Tears of the Sun I actually really liked. There you go, Tears of the Sun. Hey, uh, Bruce Willis. Yeah, hey, there you go. Chron- Chronicles of Riddick is is the big one, right? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Oh, that was terrible. Well, yeah, I just I know he's prominent in that one. Yeah, yeah. God, we fell down a weird rabbit hole, didn't we? <laughs> Nick Chinland. Hell yeah! Shout out. Fuck yeah. Uh, moving on. Oscar nominee Ian Holm plays Father Vito Cornelius, the priest who possesses the knowledge of how to save the world. And we talked a lot about uh, Ian Holm back when we did the Alien episode, in which he played the android Ash. Great performance. Incredible. Uh, He was nominated for his performance in 1981's Chariots of Fire, also played Bilbo Baggins in the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit franchises. He uh, unfortunately passed away earlier this year at 88 years old from Parkinson's disease. And uh, he's one of my favorite parts of this movie. He just, I love the way he plays Cornelius. Ian Holm is extremely consistent Consistent in this movie. That's one of the things I noticed uh, on this rewatch is how essential he is because he is totally, has totally bought in, right, to what he, what he believes in, this faith that he has in the fifth element. And if he doesn't sell that, the movie doesn't work because it's right away. You need him to sell it right away. Uh, and it works. It works the whole way through. Uh, Ian Holm has been someone because of this show that I've kind of gained a whole new respect for. And uh, I'm pretty grateful for that. We definitely will, you know, we'll always miss him. And yeah, you know, we'll always highlight him when he's in these films that we talk about. He will always be Bilbo Baggins to me first. (laughs) (sighs) Well, you know, Lord of the Rings, those, we probably shouldn't go down that rabbit hole because you and I are, you know, we can get kind of freaky about it and <laughs> we, we, we like it a lot. And he's a, he's a big, big part of, of my, my favorite of the trilogies, the fellowship. And he's a big, big part of why I love it so much. Cause that first, first hour or so he is fucking 
on it. We're probably going to be, you know, in this bit repeating a, a lot of what we said in Alien because, you know, I don't think I've seen anything new of his since then. But one of my favorite performances of his is from Time Bandits. Okay. Where he plays uh, Napoleon Bonaparte. There you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's such a funny, like just a terrible depiction of Napoleon. One of the most like epic military commanders of all time. And he's reduced to like a five foot tall, like, you know, man child who's like, I want to see little things kicking each other. <laughs> it's, it's so ridiculous. Absurd. Absurd. And, and uh, how could we, how could we forget Ratatouille? Yeah, Skinner. Fucking Skinner. And uh, another film that we brought up, uh, I believe, on episode 20 for, uh, for Oscar Sunday, uh, we talked about Back to the Future. We, we watched Brazil. Yeah. Fucking Ian Holmes in that, too. So we, we, we will watch more of his career without fucking knowing it, you know, because the guy's yeah. just everywhere. Without, within each decade, he's just there. Well, Chariots of Fire, you know, is an Oscar, is a Best Picture winner. So one day we'll be tackling that one. Hell yeah, we will. Hell yeah. I love his character in Brazil. It's so bizarre. He's just, he's, you can tell he's under so much stress. And it just comes out randomly. He'll scream shit at Jonathan Bryce. Yeah. They're a great <laughs> pair. Those two are, are a wonderful pair. Well, and, you know, we're, Lord of the Rings is prime pickings for Oscar Sunday. You can do whatever the fuck you want with those three. Oh, we're saving that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, comedian Chris Tucker plays talk show host Ruby Rod. For me, one of the most annoying movie characters of all time. <laughs> uh, Tucker, I love that. Yeah, I mean, good Lord. Tucker, of course, is famous for his role as Detective James Carter in the Rush Hour trilogy alongside Jackie Chan. Some of his other films include Jackie Brown, Friday, and Silver Linings Playbook. And he has not done much. Like, I guess he really didn't need to. I mean, with that $15 million payout from Rush Hour 3, he did not need to do anything. Yeah, no kidding. You have a run like that and you're, you're set, I guess. Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely love Chris Tucker throughout this, those movies you just named. Uh, Jackie Brown, Friday, Fifth Element, The Rush Hour. I just blown away by his, his ability to stay, stay at that pitch all the time at that energy all the time uh smoky is like one of my friends you know i he's a movie character that i feel like is is with me uh and has been since middle school i just love that character love what he's doing in friday a film that i can't wait to talk about one day on on the podcast (laughs) yeah he's great um he Admittedly, you know, the original first choice for Ruby Rod was Prince. That, that yes. was who was uh, Lupuson modeled the character after Prince and Michael Jackson. Clearly, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Chris Tucker. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're if that's the kind of thing you're trying to make, Chris Tucker did a great job. But his he's just such an annoying, out of place, like weirdo in this movie, and <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. It ah oh, yeah, we'll get to it. Yeah, he takes it. He takes it to a different level. I I, I like what he brings because uh, if he's not there, I, I just think when he comes in hot at that point in the movie, the you know the film is like two hours, a little over two hours. I think he comes in and brings some some juice to the film and is is so 
weird, you know, and bizarre the way he's moving and every action he takes. <laughs> it's it's beyond me. And the hair. Good God, the hair. <laughs> Big tube. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, I, re- I mentioned this in my review. The fifth element, I think what impresses me the most about it is it's made up of individual pieces that would absolutely bomb in its own thing. Like if it was a movie, you know, just about like, you got Chris Tucker as an annoying radio host in the future. You've got a cab driver. Like you've got weird Gary Oldman in the alien like revolution he's financing. You got all these weird pieces that just work. It meshes together into this like weird tapestry of perfect 90s sci-fi action. Like I don't know why it works, but it does. It's really impressive. Well said. Well said. That's that's what the fifth element is. It's one of those it's one of those diamonds that just some it worked. It worked. Stars aligned and we have this movie that's twenty three years old and still still kicks. Yeah. Um, and I want to bring this one up just because I thought it was odd. Uh, Luke Perry gets fifth billing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Despite only appearing briefly in the beginning of the film as Billy. And uh, granted, this was 1997 and Luke Perry was hot shit. Uh, he was the star of Beverly Hills 90210 at the time, one of the biggest shows on TV. And getting him meant securing teen asses in movie seats. So even if you got him just for a bit, you know, to have him on the poster meant you know, teenagers are going to go see this. Well, yeah, and he's in the, like you said, he's at the very beginning of the film. So, it, you know, putting him in there, it's kind of, kind of, you know, cheap because he's not in the rest of the film, but incredibly, but cheap. Hey, you do it. You do what you got to do. You know, when I was a kid. I didn't know who the hell Luke Perry was. And I assumed the ranking order of a film's cast, like went to the most important character. So I thought David was Luke Perry. <laughs> like ah. for a long time. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. Why is that guy so high up on the list? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Perry's last film role would be as actor Wayne Maunder in 2019's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood before his untimely death from a stroke at 52 years old. And that came out of fucking nowhere. I remember that last year, just Luke Perry had a stroke. Wild. Nuts, yeah. And then we were, you know, able to talk about that, I believe, when we did our bonus on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, talked a bit about that. Sucks, sucks balls, man. Yeah, it does happen. It's fucking weird when that happens, and I, you know, I don't like losing notable actors. <laughs> it's a damn shame. The Fifth Element has an IMDb score of seven point seven, Rotten Tomatoes score of seventy percent, grossed two hundred and sixty three million on a budget of forty million, and it was nominated for one Oscar for Best Sound Editing. Is regarded these days as a celebrated cult sci fi action adventure, and that's pretty cool. You know, it stands out. I mean, this came out, you know, same year as Men in Black, two years before The Matrix. Like, this was, a, you know, prime, prime time sci-fi, you know, heyday. And then this movie stands out amongst all of that. I love that. Oh, so cool. 1997 is an awesome year. And definitely, you know, as you get to the 97, 98, 99, you see a lot of this, this, these kinds of films. You know, the era is coming to an end, you know, and the 2000s are going to bring the franchise, bring the superhero to the forefront. Yeah. And these kind of wacky, you know, sci-fi, weird alien, you know, opera singing aliens, (laughs) Uh, Chris Tucker dancing around like Prince, you know, 
shit doesn't happen anymore. Um, or certainly not going to make nearly $300 million at the theater. I, I don't think unless it's like guardians of the galaxy attached yeah. to Marvel. Um, that's just the way it is. And I, I just love that we did have a time like the late nineties where stuff like this was acceptable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and, and people wanted to go see it in theaters, uh, whether it be Luke Perry or not. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting. Like you couldn't, you know, a movie like the matrix if that came out today. I don't think it would be nearly as successful. Uh, the first movie, like the fourth movie coming out in a couple of years is going to be a hit because of the franchise. But the first I know exactly movie, what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was weird when it came out and it was such a hit, but these days people need more than weird. They need assurances. You know, they need to know like I'm in safe hands and you know, to them, Marvel and DC and Warner brothers and Harry Potter and all that. And Pixar, those are safe hands. So that's, that's what makes money. Yeah. And you know, understandable, but, what we like to do is, is find those, those random things that were popular maybe at one point in the past and have become cult classics. And that's what we got here. And it's a, it's an honor to talk about films like this because there's, there's fans that are diehard, you know, diehard fifth element fans. And that were, you know, our age during the late nineties and seeing these kinds of movies. And I, I I wish, I wish I could say the same. (laughs) Well, I, like, yeah, you mentioned, you know, fans. I mean, this movie has a very devoted fan base. I saw, you know, this guy who 3D printed his own ZF-1 that, like, works. Like, it's got buttons and, it, like, it turns into the thing. Like, that's fucking awesome. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen, you know, all kinds of stuff. They sell all kinds of things that are from this film. And it's got merchandise out the wazoo, you know? <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. I, 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 lo- I love when a film that weird... And that, you know, it, it knows what it is, knows what it's doing, but it's, it's so bizarre throughout. I love when that kind of latches on to, to pop culture. Hell yeah. So let's, uh, let's dig into this movie. Um, I have some talking points. I thought, you know, stuff we could bring up. Um, so we open in 1914. Yes. In Egypt, where a professor finds, you know, a hieroglyphic detailing this ritual that's supposed to stop evil. And it's so cool to have the idea of like, you know, we've been protecting ourselves for God knows how long against this, you know, primordial darkness. And it's, an, you know, it's a, a kind of a protector job passed on from priest to priest for thousands of years. That's a cool idea. And um, I, yeah, it, it's already, you know, it's intriguing from the beginning. Like just who are these weird aliens who come to you know grab this statue and these stones and they said like we're gonna be back like it's it's cool <laughs> oh man the so so at first you're like okay is this indiana jones and then you have these giant robots come up and you're like oh, okay am i watching a philip k dick novel just unfold and then you know they just walk up and there's just a little key puts it in you know and I, I rewatching it, I, I was uh, kind of blown away at how attached I was to the screen still at age 25. And I, I don't think it's going to change, man. I don't think, I think I'm going to get well into my forties and fifties and still be like, man, this movie's just fun as shit. Yeah. There's certain movies that, you know, never lose that spark. And those are the best movies. Yeah. And it's, it's uh, a lot to do with this opening, you know, got to give it a lot of credit for the tone that it sets of being really serious, but also, this is going to be weird. Buckle up. You know, you got these wide shouldered, you know, robots just coming in and speaking English and these really deep monotone voices. And I'm, I'm in. 
<laughs> Hell yeah. And then from there, we just flash forward 300 years in the future where, you know, some intergalactic command ship has found this giant pulsating ball of pure evil. And I love yeah. that bit where the guy who, you know, Steddert, who's determined to destroy this thing, he's ignoring orders from the president because he's like, something about this, I need, this has to go. And just as it gets closer to the ship, the music pulsing and like the blood coming down his forehead. It's like, it's, it's so cool. It really sets the tone for like, what is this? <laughs> oh yeah. Just the, 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 you know, this big evil ball. What are we doing? <laughs> I love in movies depictions of like evil at its core. Like what does evil mean to certain filmmakers? And Luke Besson's personification of darkness is just fucking creepy. <laughs> Yeah, I love it, man. I love it. And Stedder, the guy who plays him, he was a prominent character in the X-Files. Not to bring that back up, but... He, Always. Yeah, he played one of the cabal of shadow government agents who's controlling this whole alien conspiracy, but he was, like, having a change of heart and he started leaking stuff. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, don't be don't be afraid to share your X-Files knowledge. It's a fantastic show. It is, yeah. Cool. And um, I read somewhere that um, the, the blood pouring down their heads isn't isn't blood. Um, Luke Basson intended that, and it happens to Zorg later in the movie. That is supposed to represent the evil inside of them forcing its way out of their bodies. Like, this thing is so powerful that when you are close to it or when you speak to it, it, like, causes evil to drip out of you. Like, come alive and leave your body. Like it's trying to Ugh. get back to the source. Like how fucked up is that? <laughs> I love that. That's great. That makes that makes that close up so much better. Grizzly. And then from there we meet Bruce Willis, who has a nightmare. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. It's great. I love little details. Like Luke Basson really hammered home the you know, intricacies of this future. Like the fact that the cigarettes are like all filter. Yes. Like I thought that was really neat. <laughs> yeah. It's so, yeah, yeah. He's, it's there. He's got, you can quit stuff everywhere on, in his little apartment there yeah. for a day. <laughs> Just weird little things like that. Um, like, uh, you know, the fact that like all the writing on like in the universe is like in English, but also in like some, other language I, I think it's you know some kind of asian language um it's just it's little stuff like that that show that we've moved past national boundaries and are just earth and yes that's cool i like when when we do that we don't do it'll never fucking happen in real life but i do love when it does happen in movies yeah like you know New World Order, you know, think you know all that, all that, all that jazz. Yeah, <laughs> I am all for a New World Order. <laughs> yeah, just uh, like like one currency. Would you would you be down for that or no? I say knock down every. This is probably going to make me look like a fucking communist, but I don't care. Knock down every <laughs> national border. Have one currency, and just let us be human. <laughs> just let us be one race of people. That's that's what it should be. There's the fifth element, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am a globalist. Fuck all y'all who say otherwise. <laughs> Zorg. Zorg. Um, I love the bit with Bruce Willis and this dude Finger that he's talking to on his phone, who's Vin Diesel, by the way. 
So good. Fucking wild. It's, it sets up Bruce Willis like Corbin Dallas to be kind of a shady motherfucker. Like, you don't know what he's up to. You just know he's, he's into some weird shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, get the, I get the hint that he's, you know, gambles a lot and, you know, just puts his, puts his shit on the line. You know, uh, obviously, he's, like, willing to lose his job, like, right away. He's like, what am I doing? You know, questioning it, and just does it anyway. He clearly acts off impulse. He's butch in space. It, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He is 100% butch in space. Yeah, just like, whoa. Yeah, this guy's probably not up to the greatest thing, but I want to watch. But he's our hero. And I, I love that little bit when he almost gets mugged by the guy wearing the hat that looks like his hallway. <laughs> that was so weird, but hilarious. <laughs> oh, man. What a touch. Um. This always bugged me. Uh, when we meet Zorg, he's this, you know, weirdly southern, like, bizarre gentleman who is in league with pure darkness. But why? Like, what does Zorg have to gain from Earth's destruction? I mean, his whole company is on Earth. He is on Earth. Like, if Earth dies, he loses everything. Like, I don't know. It's just never... Really, I never really understood like why Zorg is helping Darkness. Oh, I'm not. I'm not sure either. I definitely. One of the things I you know will nitpick about the Fifth Element is you know some of the plot and some of the mm-hmm. stuff that I am unable to follow and just kind of like ah, eh, that's not really why I watch it. You know, it's frustrating, but it's like ah, I know what this is. It's like a you know hard eight for me. Yeah. And and I enjoy the ride, but but definitely that that aspect of his character is he just a like woe is me like I don't even know what I'm doing villain I, I don't know I guess I guess that's the route they're going because that makes zero sense I don't know about that because he does seem like very confident in and yeah and he's, he's smart doing. yeah yeah I yeah I don't know that's tough uh, <laughs> no, maybe, no, maybe no. that's one of the Maybe that's one of the issues uh, Gary has with the performance. <laughs> he did, he did, you know, accept the role before he read the script. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought the uh, the way they rebuilt a human being from like a few living cells. I thought that was a cool idea. And uh, like, can you imagine if we had that kind of technology? I mean, that's immortality. That's oh yeah, yeah. That's what that is. I mean, you die, they get you in that machine long enough, you know, quick enough. They can like you know de-age you. They can bring you back. Like the that's, the implications of that is incredible. Yeah, it's very scary in the wrong hands. Yeah, I mean, who knows? And that that whole bit, um, I can't remember what's his name. Um, you brought him up. I believe you brought him up earlier. You know, I, I can't wait to meet him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good. I, I love that scene when the, the lights are really dark and you, you can see the green in the eyes like you're at fucking Laser Quest. That's so cool. I thought it was very strange that there's two scenes with blatant nudity in this movie, but it still has a PG-13. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was R like all the time. And I, you know, the, I've seen the version on TNT that's, you know, very much edited. But I always thought this movie was, was R. Nah. I, I, that is never... I don't know how that got past the sensors. It's not hidden either. Like it's very obvious, but I don't know. 
I don't know. Maybe somebody paid someone off. Bastards. I think. <laughs> I think the score is really cool. It kind of reflects that whole one world thing. There's mixtures of so many different cultures in the score. And I mean, that was neat. I, that's something I only noticed this on this rundown. It's I, it works. It it flows really well. Uh, what are your thoughts on the score? I yeah, unbelievable. You, even the subtlety of uh you know bruce willis talking on the phone and there's what seems to be like middle eastern music happening in the background just that you know just those little touches like you're saying bringing up different cultures uh like as it should be you know it's just uh one earth everybody's just kind of appreciating different kinds of things and seems cool to me (laughs) yeah for sure it's neat uh i want to talk about the scene where we are formally introduced to zorg where he is selling this gun to the Man- Mangalores, I think. Yeah. And uh, he's like warrior race who got this, you know, the stones for him. But that, that bit is such a great way to introduce this guy as like the premier weapons manufacturer. And his ZF-1 is such a cool compact gun that has like, it's like a Swiss army gun. It's yeah. got everything. And his accent is so odd. He's like from, you know, Alabama or something like I don't know <laughs> so hard to place yeah yeah is he uh, and that's you know maybe something to do with this kind of earth right where you're you don't have a di- direct you know accent or whatever it's uh, all these different kinds because you're constantly exposed to different kinds that's kind of fascinating it'd be funny if you and I all of a sudden were speaking like we're on Fargo you know <laughs> You betcha. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in that bit, we learn, you know, that Zorg is, you know, up to something. He wants the stones. He's going to be a threat. And I love when he's they when he leaves the guys the gun and he walks out and he's like, I don't like, I don't like warriors. They fight for honor. Honor's never saved a single person. <laughs> like just that whole bit about honor. I always love that. It says like he loves a cold blooded killer. <laughs> My favorite line is when he says to the guy, like, a real killer, when he picked up that gun, would have immediately asked about the little red button. (laughs) 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 And then we see the push the button, and it blows them all up. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. This is such an odd movie. The more I talk about it, the more I'm like, this is fucking crazy. It's it's insane. Well, just, uh, just, you know, this simple plot. Plot of synopsis is like, wait a minute, what are we? If I hadn't seen this movie, I wouldn't really believe you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It's fucking great. It, it feels like a dream somebody had. For sure. And that that's that's so much fun. I, I love some of the films in the 90s that do that. Just kind of take you to a totally, totally different place for an entire two hours. Because it's usually done in a mini series or TV format. Now these kinds of things, these sci-fi things that ah, I like, I like going away for two, two solid hours. Hell yeah. Me too. Uh, I love the bit where Zorg almost dies choking on a cherry after trying to be a smart ass. He almost kills himself. It's such an out. You never see a villain fuck up like that. Like a, a super villain in any movie. You never see somebody make that big a mistake, like right in front of the hero. And they're just like, yeah, just, Help me. Just trip. Yeah, he trips <laughs> up. It would it would be like uh, you know yeah, it'd be like a mega mega monster. Oh like you know, like one of the Bond villains, yeah, just like 
tripping over a carpet, you know, a little rug. <laughs> Having a oh, Beneke. Sorry. Moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ted Beneke. Oh, great call. <laughs> I always, whenever I, I stumble on a rug, I'm almost like, oh shit, I almost beneke myself. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Zorg's just like sitting there choking to death and the priest is like, so, you know, what? Where's your solution? <laughs> like, cl- you know, clearly, you know, all this means nothing of a cherry can just destroy everything. And then he saves him because he's not a monster. <laughs> Incredible. Um, so let's let's move a little forward to Ruby Rod. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get you get a good ways into the film, and then this firecracker character comes comes to life. Not just Ruby Rod, but the entire scene on the like airport air, airplane shuttle thing is so fucking weird. Every bit of that, I have so many questions. It's <laughs> the weird, like, sex scene happening with yeah. Ruby Rod and yeah. that stewardess. Why all the flight attendants are wearing like the same revealing uniform and like the same haircut? It's the weird reggae guy going, "Give me some heat!" Like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> I I don't I don't know, <laughs> and it's it's one of my favorite scenes of the movie just because it it completely flips it upside down, and I'm like, what? what is going on? This is what I'm talking about when, you know, all of a sudden we're in a Philip K. Dick novel and you just, you just don't know what's going on. You can't trust anything anymore. Where's the narrative? <laughs> it's crazy. I don't know if it's supposed to like represent hypersleep or whatever the fuck. I don't, I don't know. There's, it's weird. I'm not sure. Yeah. But clearly, you know, Ruby is, uh, she's extremely, extremely, original character that I, I I just can't point to anybody else other than Prince himself that this is, you know, clearly based a little bit off of. I've never seen anything in a movie like that. It, it's <laughs> insane, man. It's insane what Chris Tucker's doing. I, I applaud just the the willingness to even go there. Well just to combine this futuristic sci-fi th- like action movie about the end of the earth and like pure darkness with a talk show host and like an opera singing alien and like weird Southern weapons guy Zorg. <laughs> it's, it's so bonkers any way you slice it. But Chris Tucker in this weird movie of all these, all this weird shit, he is the weirdest part. <laughs> and uh, like his yeah, whole talk yeah. show doesn't really make any sense. Like, how long no. is this talk show? Like, what is it? It's almost like he's podcasting. <laughs> For sure. It's like, yeah, it's podcasting in the future. Yeah. I love when he confronts Bruce Willis and is like, hey, could you be a little bit more animated? <laughs> he just like lifts him up with one hand and is like, leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> one of my favorite So parts. good. So good. Very Bruce. Chris Tucker looks so scared. <laughs> It was probably real. He probably was scared. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I want to backtrack a little bit because I, I just wanted to mention this. I love that even 300 years in the future, McDonald's is still doing just burgers and sodas. <laughs> like, it's the same shit. Nothing's changed. <laughs> Why would it? Why would it? Uh, La Big Mac? You know, it still okay. works. It will always work. You know, that got the name of the actor who had the whole McDonald's run in the movie. The guy's name is Mac McDonald. Oh, that's perfect. (laughs) 
so weird. Let's talk about the diva. So, <laughs> okay, okay, that, that is a kind of gone down as one of the most like, like kind of the scene of the movie is the diva uh, opera performance, and then the fight that happens alongside it, and uh, it is pretty remarkable. It's um, the actress who played the diva was Luc Besson's uh, girlfriend or fiance at the time who came in because the original actress dropped out at the last minute. So they painted her up in the blue and then dubbed over an opera singer. Like pretty cool. <laughs> God damn movie making. And nobody in the audience, like that was the first time they heard the opera. So like, they really are in awe, Like that's genuine. They're like a genuine reaction, which is pretty sweet, man. That's so cool. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, and the fight is kind of bitching. Like, you know, she's been like looking at Bruce Lee this whole time. She's been learning about earth culture and she kicks their asses. Lilu just, you know, mops up. It's pretty awesome. Oh yeah. Lilu is, we, we, we've been waiting for that, you know, that moment for her to just kind of pounce, you know, because in the beginning when she kind of escapes, she, she just gets away, you know, dives out and, you know, off she goes and lands into the cab, but to see her just, yeah, just fucking in combat mode pretty dope and, and mila is very good at, at those things she has the capability to to move her body like um th- there's not a lot of actors or actresses period that can move the way she's moving in, in some of these films in the 90s well luke basson cast her mainly because she had this kind of ethereal quality to her where she could be yeah. from anywhere she could be from any time period and that really works for the character because you're not really sure what she is from the beginning i mean you know she's destined for something, but you don't know like where she came from, what she's supposed to be, like, you know, does she have feelings? Does she have, you know, can she? I don't. Know, it's just it's cool to see her evolution from being grown back in a chamber to saving the, the world. Like her evolution, her she has a, an awesome arc in this movie. Oh, for sure, incredible arc, and so so does so does Bruce, man. <laughs> His arc is cool as shit too. I, I think it's totally earned by the end of the film it's earned between them two the film does the legwork uh and has the wacky villain that perishes so it, it, it's like perfect i am very disappointed like that whole bit oof. when he sets the bomb up like just coming in and shooting everything they never encounter each other which is so weird corbin and zorg never interact even once like no i don't even think they know of each other's existence <laughs> which is so cool it's so cool to have a film with a quote-unquote villain and yeah hero that don't don't have knowledge of one another although Cor- uh zorg is the one who fired corbin <laughs> ah there you go because earlier in the movie they're talking about you know we wanted to fire some people and he says you know fire a million from the cab companies so corbin working there you for go. the cab yeah. company gets yeah, yeah, fired yeah. in that scene where the Chinese guy bets lunch. <laughs> that's duh. Yeah, that's the connection. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one scene I did want to bring up because this always made me laugh as a kid was when the the uh, the soldiers go to Corbin's house to to recruit him for the mission, and he hides them in the fridge for because of Lilu, and he's just like shoving them in a fridge, and then opens it like two hours later, and they're frozen completely. Oh, like shit, he, yeah. he killed them straight up. <laughs> but in this universe, you know, they just. Threw him in a vat and brought him back. <laughs> yeah, because it's, you know, it's the future. So weird. <laughs> this would work really well as a TV show. 
yeah, that's that's definitely where it would go today if it was written today. So with that, let's go to the end with the the actual ritual, setting up the stones. This was really cool. I love how they did this, where each stone needs to be opened by an element. I thought that was really cool. Oh, so, hell yeah. Super dope. I also found it really interesting that Cornelius, despite being prepped for this his entire life, had no idea what to do. <laughs> Like, they never told him that part, like the most important part, the actual ritual. They just left that out for 5,000 years. Fucking, <laughs> fucking terrible villain. Guarantee you, one of those priests over the course of that 5,000 years, he fucked up, he forgot, and he just kept, you know, it was a big old te- game of telephone for thousands of years. Yes, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So with them all opening the stone, you've got Lilu kind of almost like near death, it feels like. Uh, just kind of in the middle, like regretful about humanity's choices. And I love that line, you know, what's, what good is protecting life if you, when you see what you do with it? It's a, it's a valid point, you know. Oof. Mankind's history has never exactly been peaceful. Man, deep. Yeah, like do we deserve to be saved? Not a lot of movies, like not a lot of sci-fi movies deal with that concept. Like, yeah, we can, but do we deserve it? Yeah, yeah. Do do we deserve anything, really? Yeah. Well, it really makes you reflect. It's a it's a deep concept to bring up in the you know the final bit of the film, but yeah, it's, she's got a point. And I love that Corbin has to basically like assure her, like you know, love is worth saving. It's that's the fifth element. It's love. <laughs> Hell yeah, and it's definitely worth fighting for. Yeah. Ugh, that was a that that uh popped like. I, I finally made that connection with a re- like a watch about a year ago. And I was like, holy shit, that's what that's supposed to mean. The, fi- the fifth element is love. Love is what saves the world. It's, ah, it's beautiful. White light. Like, ah. Mm. So good. It's such a great moment. And you're right. It does feel earned. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> How stressful was that one match? <laughs> when he's just, Corbin has one match left and they're all like... <gasps> Trying not to breathe. <laughs> Fucking A, man. Beautiful. And then, like, in the end, it kind of implies that the last time this happened was the moon. <laughs> did you make that connection? Yeah, and I want to see the prequel. Yeah, like, <laughs> when did this happen in, like, ancient Egypt? When, you know, 5,000 years prior, when the moon, you know, evil first attacked. So are they just recycling evil from somewhere? Like... Is that mankind's evil, like over the course of 5,000 years, manifest into this darkness? Is that what it is? Is the only way to stop evil to just stop being evil? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's like it's like a fucking ice age. It's like we got to reset. God damn, it is, man. It's a reset. And we fucking never nuts. fucking learn. We never learn. Oh, damn. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. What a, what a crazy film. Right? Bonkers. So I, I'm interested to hear your opinion on this. Like, what do you think of the constant phone, phone interactions between Corbin and his mom? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, you know, like Ben Affleck says in the DVD commentary of Armageddon, Bruce Willis is a real salt of the earth guy. You know, it makes sense that he'd be, he has a relationship, you know, with the loved ones. <laughs> his mom sounds like such a bitch. Like to just say, like, you know, you selfish bastard, I never should have pushed you out. Holy shit. 
I love when she's talking to the president and she's like, no way. Like the president's an idiot. You don't sound like an idiot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Fucking Debo. Is that there? It, it, it adds nothing to the movie, but it's just it, three times. It's so weird. And oh, it's not man. even anybody notable. Like it's just some actress who that's her only role and it's uncredited. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> I love that Zorg gets killed by the the soldiers that he was arming for honor. Yeah, like, of course. Well, yeah, that's the only way he can go out. After his little you know bitch fit about how much he hates honor, motherfucker gets killed because a Mangalore wanted an honorable death. I love it. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> Makes sense, and I'm glad it's not one of the other main characters that kills him. It's that's that's a cool way for the, for Zorg to go out. It's just such an odd... I don't think any other movie's ever done that where the hero and villain don't even meet each other. Like, or know each other. No, it's extremely clever. It really is. It's, it subverts your expectations in a smart way. And not a lot of movies can do that. A lot of movies try to do that, but most of them fuck it up. Yeah. Bitchin'. Uh, anything else you want to add about The Fifth Element? No, I think, I think uh, you know, keep nailing it away that... Hammering it away that, you know, it... It's earned. The moments at the end are earned, and Mila and Bruce, I believe, I believe what's going on. I think it's really funny when, like, they're gonna need about five more minutes. You got twenty seconds. You know, <laughs> fucking hilarious. Yeah, this is this is a fun movie. I, I stick with. Uh, I'll give it an eight. I think it's been an eight for a long time for me, uh, and I'll I'll keep rewatching it forever. Yeah, straight up. Now that I like finally cracked the code, and I'm like, you know. Love is the fifth element. That was a big revelation for me. And now I'm, I love it even more now because of that. Hell yes. So here are some filmgasm facts. Number one, the divine language spoken by Lilu was invented by co-writer and director Luke Besson and further refined by Mila Jovovich, who had little trouble learning and developing it because she is fluent in four languages already. <laughs> the language only had 400 words. He and Mila Jovovich held conversations and wrote letters to each other in the language as practice. By the end of filming, they were both able to have full conversations in this language. Unbelievable. I love that. that they like fluently learned a fake language. That's beautiful. Dedication. Number two, this movie was supposed to be a trilogy. Luke Besson had three scripts that he condensed into one movie. And despite the success, he never felt the need to go back. Good. That's kind of weird, though. Like, it's something you were, you've been working on since you were 16. You have so much lore, so much backstory, so, much, I, so many ideas. You make one movie, it's a huge hit, but you just, you don't go back. That, that takes, you know, restraint. Yeah, it takes major restraints. I'm sure, I'm sure he could have made a lot more money, you know, doing a sequel. And I, I you know, I applaud him for, for just leaving at this one because it, it special as a standalone it's special i don't see how you do a sequel with the same characters though because it's so evil only comes back every five thousand years you'd have to do like a even further in the future new character yeah. thing <laughs> um number three gary oldman played zorg as a cross between then presidential candidate ross perot and bugs bunny that was his inf those were his influences behind zorg <laughs> ridiculous number four Terry Pratchett, famous uh, fantasy and sci-fi author, spoofed the title in his Discworld novel, The Fifth Elephant. <laughs> That's cute. 
I've, I haven't read a lot of Terry Pratchett. I've read Good Omens, and that was very entertaining. Yeah, reading, um, unfortunately, I just don't get to do a lot these days. Yep. Fucking sucks. But, you know, that's, that's the way life goes. As you get older, you lose the time you once had. That's <laughs> oh, a damn shame. I just bought Dune, and I want to read that, but I want to finish Stephen King's Joyland first, but I've been reading that for like a year now. It's not even a long book. It's just time. Yeah, movies number five Alejandro Jodorowsky and Jean Mobius Giraud sued Luc Besson after this movie was released claiming it had plagiarized their comic The Incal Girard sued for 13.1 million euros for unfair competition 9 million euros in damages and interest and 2 to 5% of the net operating revenues of the movie Wow, that's some sack. Jesus. Uh, Jodorowsky sued for 700,000 euros. The case was dismissed in 2004 on the grounds that only tiny fragments of the comic had been used. And get this, also because Giraud had been hired by Basson to work on the movie before the allegations were made. Good God. Motherfucker. <laughs> that's a whole nother episode. Yeah, I mean... You know, we've already established that Bassan had been working on this since he was 16. So you're gonna like you're gonna get hired to work on the movie and then try to act like you were betrayed. Like fuck you. Ugh. Jesus. <laughs> I just thought that was crazy. Yeah, that's nuts. Thank you for sharing. Good lord. Oh. <laughs> I too give the fifth element an eight. It's a great sci-fi adventure. It's a great lesson in character development and world building. And it's a fun movie that I will definitely be, you know, keep revisiting for a very long time. Yeah, solid, solid eight. And we'll definitely come up whenever we talk about Bruce Willis again or Gary or Mila, you know, Chris Tucker. It's just, it's in our, it's in our subconscious always. Yep. And now it's in our catalog. (laughs) Yeah, since we did this film this week in honor of Gary Oldman's likely award-winning performance in Mank, set for release on Netflix Friday, December 4th, we thought we'd close out the show with a Gary Oldman draft. So why don't you explain what that is going to entail? Yeah, so what we're going to do here is uh, Gary Oldman draft. We've done this before with the years and all kinds of different things. Uh, it's a fun way to kind of cap off the show, show some respect to Gary Oldman here. So uh, how many films was it all together? Because you emailed me a list. Yeah, and, and I, I, cut, I cut the three that you said you hadn't seen. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 16. Counting, we counted the Dark Knight trilogy as one film. Correct, correct. So we, yes, we have 16 films that both of us have seen that Gary Oldman has appeared in. And there's some that you love that I haven't seen. There's some that I love that you haven't seen. So that, that's a good sign. This guy, we will not stop watching his work. So we're going to pick three each out of those 16 uh again the dark knight trilogy is one whole role um i'm gonna let you take first pick my man uh you take it away whenever you feel like uh feel like going and definitely explain why you chose whatever you do first because i have no idea sure thing first things first though i do want to list out the films for the audience list the 16 of course yeah yeah in order of release we have sid and nancy dracula true romance leon the professional Mortal Beloved, The Fifth Element, Air Force One, Hannibal, The Dark Knight Trilogy, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Planet 51, The Book of Eli, Lawless, RoboCop 2014, 
Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and Darkest Hour. So that's a, it's a good bunch. And yeah. I'm going to start this out by snaking Azkaban. Fuck. Of course. Of course, Harry Potter, his Sirius Black is going to be taken. We're big fans. Uh, and he's my favorite character of that entire franchise. Yeah. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban was when shit started to get real. That was when this stopped being about whimsical, magical children and started becoming about good versus evil. And Gary Oldman's brief turn in that movie as Sirius Black is the perfect blend of manic crazy person and loving godfather. Because at first you're like, this guy's fucking nuts. But then as we get to know him, we're like, oh no, he's he's the good guy. And I love that little, the bait and switch. You don't expect that. The first time you read the book, you, you see the movie. It's so, it makes perfect sense, but you do not see it coming. Yeah, and what what an actor to to portray that, right? To be part of that turning point in the entire franchise. It's my favorite movie and book of 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 all Harry Potter. I, I just think it's wonderful. So good good pick. <laughs> um I had that written down, so I'm gonna adjust here and I'll I'll go ahead and take uh I'll take the Dark Knight trilogy off the board. Mm. Uh, I think I have mixed feelings about those films, but I I know he's damn good in them the entire way as Gordon. Um, the glasses, the facial hair, uh, he, he completely transforms into what I already imagine when I think of that character. Yeah. And uh, you completely forget where he's from <laughs> when you're watching him as Gordon in Gotham. You, for, you forget who Gary Oldman is and where the guy is from. So yeah, I'll go ahead and take that one. Man, we took the two big franchise <laughs> off the board. There was no way in hell either one of us was walking away with both of those. <laughs> no All way. All right. Starting off strong with Sirius Black and Gordon. Here we go. You think Jeffrey Wright is going to live up to uh, Oldman's Commissioner Gordon? Uh, yeah, I do. I actually think Jeffrey will be great. I think it's a cool, cool guy to you know, pass the torch to, but, but it's hard to compare when we have three films to look at that, that Gordon's prominent and he's, he's a big deal and is probably my favorite. I think he has my favorite performance in dark Knight rises. So I, yeah, I very attached to what Oldman's doing. So it's going to be tough for tough for Jeffrey, but he's, he's capable. (laughs) Right on. Hmm. What do I want? I want Hannibal. Okay, I like it. I like it. Mason Verger cool. is such an evil piece of shit. And that's what, you know, that's in a movie with Hannibal Lecter. So that's saying something. And Gary Ullman, it is an uncredited performance due to uh, some behind the scenes issues. But I do think that he is a very strong presence in a movie that a lot of people have kind of set aside because of, you know, the lack of Jodie Foster. But I think if you can get past that, Hannibal is a really decent movie. I mean, it's got some freaky, freaky moments like, you know, Ray Liotta eating his own brain. I mean, good Lord. Good example. <laughs> but just like Gary Oldman's voice and like it's so much like just grimier than a lot of his other characters. There's like this weird turn to his voice, like he's choking on something. It's, it's so weird. Yeah, yeah. But, I know exactly what you mean. I love just, you know, get his comeuppance is so fucking perfect. 
And uh, yeah, that was one of my favorites, especially when I found out it was him. I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> Beautiful. Incredible. Good mm-hmm. pick. Good pick. I, I had some, like I wrote down half of them and definitely took the other half off the table for me. And that was one of the ones I did write down. Very good pick. Uh, I'll, uh, you know, keep it, keep it weird. Keep it evil. Uh, I'll take, I'll take 1994 as Leon, the professional. Oh. Uh, I think, I think, you know, there's an argument to be made that that's Gary Oldman's finest work, you know, depending on how you look at it and for it to be so early on when people are getting to know him as an actor, it's just a very, very powerful performance. Uh, another, another movie that could, you know, come up in many ways on our podcast. Yeah. I'm, you know what, admittedly, as much as I do love the fifth element, I kind of wish we'd done that one. <laughs> well, the fifth element is, is just so wacky and it, it felt like, it felt like a, a very out of left field kind of thing with Gary Oldman. Oh, you, you're probably going to do, you know, yeah. Harry Potter, this or that, you know, no, we're going to take, we're going to take a weird one. <laughs> and I'm glad we did. Fifth element's fun as shit. True. True. But Leon, like he is scary. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, I think it's probably the best I've seen him do. I, you know, Tinker Taylor and yeah, he has, has Oscar nominated performances, but, Leon, he should have been nominated for that. Yeah. Yeah, he should have. <laughs> There's a lot of his work. Like by the time he won for Darkest Hour, he should have had like two. <laughs> yeah, and more nominations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, I'm gonna take for my last pick, I'm gonna take Immortal Beloved. Very nice, very nice pick. I've already kind of expressed, you know, why I love that movie and why. I think he's you know just lights out in it playing you know every aspect of Beethoven's larger than life character and you know just getting to getting to see a man like that lose love in such a tragic way and then just have it darken his heart it's it's a, it's a very sad performance and uh yeah I don't think that movie gets nearly as much credit as it, as it deserves. I kind of just stumbled onto that one by accident. It was like, why don't more people know about this? Those are the best movies where nobody's ever told you about it. You've never heard of it. You just find it and you're like, this is amazing. Hell yeah. I love that. Love that. And that's that's again one of the reasons we love doing this show is just highlighting and spotlighting films that we feel like go under the radar and still go under the radar. Yeah. Good good pick. Well, that, that opens up for me to, to pick my personal favorite. Uh, that'd be True Romance. Is it White Boy Tuesday? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know, what he's doing in True Romance alongside Christian Slater is something else. Is something else. That's all, <laughs> that's all I'll say. Uh, True Romance. Love it. We've talked about it before on this show and our admiration for Tarantino is through the roof and for again, for a guy like Oldman to take on a Tarantino screenplay is kind of a dream. So uh, him and Dennis Hopper kind of steal that movie for me and I uh, love, love what he's doing there. So I'll round out my three with that whack ass performance. Beautiful. I knew you were going to snag that one. Yeah. That was, (laughs) that is an unreal like weird ass role for him, but he does it so well. Yeah, it was down to that or his Oscar winner in Darkest Hour. And I was like, yeah, True Romance is my real favorite. So I know. I'm wondering if Mank is going to, you know, knock one of these out for us. 
you know me. I think it will. I don't, I don't like going into things, you know, with whatever preconceived ideas, but Fincher has been, as far as I'm concerned, for my fandom, has been reliable for almost every single one of his movies, except for one. And I'm very, very much ready for that to come out. Uh, I'm a lucky person where that probably would have been the most anticipated movie of the year for me, no matter what. Uh, and it, it, I knew it was going to come to Netflix. So I feel very grateful that one of my favorite filmmakers is doing that and to have Oldman in it. I, I find it hard to believe that I'm going to finish that movie on Friday and be like, nah, nah, Gary Oldman was okay. You know, I, I just, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Fincher will slip up, but I doubt it. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I think it's going to be a masterpiece. I'm excited. I, I do too. And I've, you know, tried to stay away from reading things and hearing anything about it. Cause I, I want to be, you know, totally engaged and have no whatever ideas about what's, what's coming. But I am going to do my legwork of, you know, watching Citizen Kane. I'll watch part of the Yankees also written by make, you know, written by make So we'll, we'll do our legwork and then going into that movie, we'll, we'll know a little bit more and be prepared. I'm excited. Hell yeah. So uh, yeah, let's, you know, what did we have for our, for our draft? I had Harry Potter and the prisoner of Azkaban. Hannibal and Immortal Beloved. Those are my top three Oof. picks. <laughs> solid, solid. I've got Gordon in the Dark Knight trilogy by Christopher Nolan. Got Leon the Professional and True Romance, some early '90s jams. So, yeah, kind of, kind of, kind of went with the weird, wacko '93 and '94, and then the solid Gordon trilogy. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I went with you know a surefire from my childhood. Yep. a sadistic psycho and Beethoven. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's, that's the thing, right? About Gary Oldman is that you can keep going down the line. We, neither of us picked his org. You, there's yeah. another one that's just way different than what we're used to. You know, he's consistently changing the game and doing different things with his craft. And that's what we felt like kind of shouting him out uh, a little bit extra here at the end of the episode. Oh yeah. I mean, if we had more picks, I would have maybe grabbed Sid and Nancy. I think he's, unbelievable in that movie for like one of his early roles he really is unreal as sex pistols guitarist sid vicious yes yes i i think that's a really good one that's probably somewhere in my top five or six in there that's that's a good call i i i think tinker taylor is the one that you'll 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 just be really attached to when you when you finally see it yeah i figured i'm i yeah and it will happen i promise and and, and state of grace state of grace him and sean penn are fucking awesome together so before we announce next week's episode, uh, we've got a very cool announcement for what we've got planned for next year. Oh, yeah. Starting in January, Filmgasm Productions is launching a new podcast built around the current release calendar and other fun, off-the-wall, experimental ideas. It's called The Sneak Preview, and we will be debuting it on Monday, January 4th, with our second annual Gazzy Awards, where we look at the films of 2020 and give our own two cents over what films we think deserve praise. We did this last year on the Filmgasm podcast, talked about the films of 2019. Going to do it again in January to debut our new show. Very excited. Super, super excited. I, I, I could go on and on about what this show is going to be and what kind of opportunities we're going to have to shout out even more kinds of different films, but I'm going to let the, epi- the episodes do the, do the talking. They'll be coming out. They'll be coming out weekly, So, uh, and you'll probably be hearing different kinds of, you know, 
opinions and voices. And I, I can't wait to uh, take that journey on with you, my man, and keep, keep this train rolling. Hell yeah. The coolest thing about the sneak preview is that the co-host will pretty much be random the whole time. I'll be leading it, but the second chair will be whoever on the team has also seen the movie or movies of the week and wants to talk about it. Could be Austin, could be Josh, could be Julie, might even be Caleb, or a few others we've got waiting in the wings that we'll be introducing to you sometime next year. It's going to be an incredible, fun way to try new stuff out, like top tens or recasts or drafts and who knows what. We'll try to cover as many newly released films as we can, but until the COVID crisis is under control and the movie theaters are back to full strength with new studio-backed releases, that may take a while. Yeah. We'll be relying mostly on streaming sites, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, Shutter, HBO Max, and Apple TV+. But we'll be striving for awesome content every week. So mark your calendars, Monday, January 4th, and every Monday after that. Yes, sir. Can't wait. Cannot wait. So excited. We've been prepping this one for a while now, wanting to get it right, wanting to you know talk about like what are we going to do with this? How, how is it going to look? Where is it going to fit in the week? And we've got enough now where we're just really just counting down the days till we can do this. Oh, yeah, for sure. And a movie like Mank is, I want to start it now, you know, so we can know. do these current films or Nomadland or, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, there's been stuff like that you saw, The Banker, uh, you know, On the Rocks, all these different movies that have come out this year that uh, we want to talk about, want to have conversations. Uh, and we, we feel like a new show is, is the way to do that. It's the way to properly give those their due while at the same time, being creative as hell and having fun with it. Being on the lookout for a lot of top fives, a lot of drafts and fun stuff on that show that's with what's going on currently. So yeah. if a if a Francis McDormand movie is coming out, like Nomadland, expect a Francis McDormand draft or Francis McDormand top five, stuff like that, you know? Uh, just to be engaged with what's going on right now because we know our is in the past and we love history. And we love doing the Oscar Sunday show and just kind of going down these different roads, the different years. And we love filmgasm going into these different wacky genres, but we also want to keep up with what's going on in the, the industry that we love and that yeah. we want to know more about. So uh, we're, we're so excited to go on that journey, man. I, I can't wait. We put a lot into that. Like we've, you know, we've reinforced the team with more people. We've like, we were prepping this to be big for us. We really are excited to put a lot of work and effort into making a really cool new show for you guys. We're moving this week in film, the Oscar Sunday segment, which has been, will now be on, have been on all three shows at one point. We'll exactly. be moved to sneak preview and we'll be able to put a lot more detail into the current movie news world, you know, celebrity deaths, casting trailers. We'll get to talk way more in depth about all that stuff. And it's just going to be very, you know, very now and, Genre will be thrown out the window. It's going to be whatever we, whatever comes out, drama, comedy, horror, animation, whatever. And it's going to be so much fun to just go everywhere. Yeah. I can't fucking wait. I'm so excited for this. Super exciting. Super exciting. And it, yeah, it's about a month away. So be on the yeah. lookout. Ah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, we're into the final month of this 12 month long fever dream nightmare that has been 2020. And that means it's time for Christmas movies, but not just any Christmas movies. This is Filmgasm, where we talk about the weird shit. So to start off the Filmgasm podcast Christmas season, I will be back with new guest host Julie Cervantes to dig into the 2015 horror comedy Krampus.
When a young boy turns his back on Christmas thanks to his asshole family, Santa's demonic counterpart comes down on his family with a holiday wrath, the likes of which he's never seen. Now Max and his family must fight off the demons of Christmas and stay alive as the evil, sadistic Krampus punishes them all. All that next Wednesday, Citizen Kane and Herman J. Mankiewicz on Oscar Sunday and an all-new show coming in January. Don't take life for granted. Enjoy the holidays, and I'll see you next Wednesday. Thank mm-hmm. you.